Hi, everybody. This is Kevin with the Messy City Podcast. I'm delighted today to have uh, two uh, people that I have known uh, for quite some time that do uh, incremental development and small development. And uh, they're my guests in the studio in Kansas City, Monty Anderson and Bernice Radel, who uh, are here actually in town working on a project with uh, my friend Abby Kinney and uh, the, the good people at Multi Studio. Monty and uh, Bernice, welcome to the studio. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for here. thanks for coming to this uh, fancy setup that we that it's we have. So this fancy. is wonderful. This is great. Why don't we do a real quick uh, overview to make sure people know who you are? Uh, not everybody is like me that has known you for ten years or more. So why don't we? Who is Monty and who's Bernice? Okay. Yeah, I'm Monty Anderson. I'm from Dallas, Texas, and I'm a real estate developer who has committed my life to making the Southern Dallas County area a better place um, than it was when I got here. And uh, about uh, we do everything from leasing and property management, development, construction of different kinds of properties from anything from hotels to theaters, you know, warehouses, office, studios, you know, creative spaces, those kinds of things. Um, We uh, about uh, a little over seven years ago, I was one of the co-founders, of the Incremental Development Alliance that today is now evolving for Bernice and I, at least into what's called Neighborhood Evolution, which is which is an organization that brings uh, cities and small developers together to create a better ecosystem for building local wealth and, and doing good. And we like to say money, money is very important and doing good is equal. That's the way we put it. And um, what we found is politically... When people are separated, if they come together in a community, in a little community together, we're really not separate at all. We want the same things. You know, we want clean streets and walkable places. We want a good place for our kids to, to be one place to get coffee or a haircut, we want those kinds of things. So we really think that this kind of work really brings the country together and also is a good place to for locals to build wealth and for the middle class to kind of rebuild itself, which, you know, we see, we see that as, you know, dropping off. I mean, the middle class continues to, to get more poor and more poor people become more unhoused. And so we see it, we, we tend to think that it's a solution for everything, you know, sometimes. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm Bernice Radel. I'm from Buffalo, New York. And um, I always say I'm a, just a girl with a dollar and a dream. So, um, but the truth is I've been renovating buildings in Buffalo for the last 15 years, uh, 11 of them with my own company. Like Monty, I'm a real estate we're a brokerage, we're property management, we're construction. I serve on the zoning board for the city of Buffalo for the last seven, eight, almost eight years. Um, so I love zoning. I'm an urbanist. I go to all the weird, nerdy urbanist conferences. And, um, and but truly at, at my core, I really believe that housing is incredibly important. Uh, and um, it's a really, really good way for people to build wealth. Um, I can't, we can't change the systems that we have. I think it's a really great way to, you know, invest in communities and, and um, invest in yourself, invest in your families, invest in the long-term longevity of your family as a whole with multi-generational wealth. So I don't know. I just, um, I love old buildings and I love Buffalo so much. Sorry. I know we're in Kansas city right now, but I do like Kansas city too. But it's okay. We love Buffalo. Yeah, that's right. We always, I know that, and I'm kind of sad because we have this rivalry now with the bills versus the chiefs a little bit, but um, but it, that's okay. But you they're know. both, you know, like you mentioned last night, a couple of towns with a ton of civic pride. That's and, right. You know, it's, a ton of civic pride. You know, that's, like Kansas City and Buffalo, it, it feels the same. It's just yeah. a different outfit. You know, Buffalo, exactly. you walk around, everyone's wearing a Buffalo Bills jacket. Yep. Sure. You know, here it's the same pride. And guess what? You know what helps? When you have a community with pride and you love your community, you will do anything for it. Yeah. And that yeah. is something you cannot repeat all over yeah. America yeah. because not everybody has the chiefs or whatever that brings people together. Yeah. My wife likes to joke when, when we moved back here, she's not from here. Uh, she's from the Northeast and she just couldn't believe like all these people just walk around Kansas city that live here with Kansas city shirts on all the yep. time. You know, what's up with that? That's uh-huh. just, you just don't see that a lot of places, but you know, I think there's a lot of these midsize, you know, cities and regions where people just really think they're great places to live. They have a ton of pride and they want other people to, to know about them. Yeah. I have a t-shirt actually. It says, I like you. I love Buffalo. <laughs> it's really, it's kind of salty, you yeah. know, and, uh, but yeah. people know what I, you know, yeah. um, but it, absolutely. And it's civic to me, we always say, one of the things I say in real estate is you, you should fall in love. And, you know, a lot of people say don't fall in love. Um, but if you fall in love, then you can make these really great choices to like, you do anything for these buildings and for your community. You pick up the trash, you start the block clubs, you know, because in our world, we think real estate isn't 
it's about spreadsheets are important money is important but it but it as money said it's you make money and you do good mm-hmm. so it's it's just it's about the money, but it's more to me, at least it's more about the community and setting up. And you only do that when you love it. You know, you're not going to shovel your neighbors, you know, when there's a blizzard out and help them or Mm -hmm. bake bread or start the block club for three years in a row and, or do what Abby does in KC with these small developer meetups. You do it because you love a place. And we're so lucky to have that, especially here in KC. I want to pick up on something you, something you both have talked about, uh, which, uh, you know, so we, we all kind of got to know each other and came to know each other through the world of new urbanism, mm-hmm. you know, which is yeah. this kind of almost like an urban design cult in some ways. Mm-hmm. I think of it. it's, it's, it's a really quirky uh, mix of people who are, you know, interested in uh, planning and design issues. But you all are developers and um, we, you know, there's the subset within new urbanism of the, the incremental developers who are really trying to figure things out. There's, I guess what I want to ask about is there's, there's, a lot of reference in what you're talking about that goes way beyond any of the urban design stuff and all that. It's, and you talk a lot about wealth building uh, and how important is that? How critical is that for the work that you do? And when you go around the country and talk to people, how critical is that element? Um, I mean, I look at it from my own personal perspective. Sometimes I, I was a very extremely poor kid in foster care for the first two years of my life. And now I own my own home and got out, you know, And by got out, I mean, really, like it was, I'm surprised my sister and I are happy and healthy and have good husbands, you know what I mean? And so I see it personally, but you also see the real need for it. I mean, mean, yeah, sure, there's a 401k, but pensions are gone, right? We could get into all this conversation. How do you build your wealth? Mm -hmm. It's really a challenge. I I mean, I really think we're going to get to a point where we're working full-time jobs and have our own side hustles. And I don't need, and I don't think that that's healthy, but I don't really see another way through it, you know, mm-hmm. and in Buffalo and Kansas City, y'all and Kansas City, South Bend, you know, you've got doubles, triples, you know, quads, you got you have the ability to live in a place and rent out the others and help others, you know, save money for their mortgage payment or what or to buy a house or whatever they need. But you also have the ability to take in rent and pay that mortgage so you can then save your money for college for your kiddos or whatever it is. So it's, it's really, to me, it's about being more resilient and having more flexibility over time. Um, We talk a lot about, you know, building wealth, but it's really about having that flexibility to, as your life changes, you know, you have kids, especially in the beginning and that, you know, the costs are really high or all that. Well, wouldn't you love to be able to rent out a little back room in your house to make an extra 600 bucks so you can pay for daycare? Mm -hmm. You know, and we don't design houses like that anymore. Right. Well, at least right. not a lot of new construction, mm-hmm. but all that old stuff did. Yeah. You know, yeah, all the old houses did. I mean, this country was built on small entrepreneurs, incremental developers. You know, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker, <laughs> you know, owned a, owned a building with two apartments above or behind it. You know, it was built, and wealth was built that way, you know, and somewhere over the last 70 years, 60, 70, 80 years, we we started to depend on these big developers and big businesses to take care of building our cities instead of building it ourselves. And I think it seems like we just became disconnected from, even if we were interested in design, we weren't doing the work. And my mom was a telephone operator and my dad was a carpenter, not similar to, to Bernice. We grew up in very middle-class, lower, you know, lower middle-class neighborhoods. But I knew one thing I knew that, um, you know, my neighborhoods changed. You know, I was a product of white flight. I was a part, and I got to thinking, why do people leave this neighborhood? Why would they leave? And so if people don't love their neighborhood, as Bernice talked about, if you, you know, they're going to leave. And if you're not, if you don't have any wealth in the neighborhood, you don't have any stake in the neighborhood, you're not, you don't care if it, you plant the tree or you, or you, you keep the place clean. You just use it up like a locust, you know, and then yeah. you move on to the next, the next place. And so, I mean, I think it's vital for this country that the middle class gets back involved in the way their communities look and actually is building this stuff and actually get to own it and building wealth. Cause frankly, I just don't trust big business handling, taking my money and handling it. You know, I can't control any of that. What I can control, I can build a duplex. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I can control that certain not, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff I still can't control with you know, cities and banks and things like that. But, but I can at least control, a little bit of that or more than I, and it gives me something that maybe I leave my legacy to my children or my grandchildren, 
you know, it gives something that you leave. And it's maybe we're not billionaires, but, you know, we can have good health. I mean, quality of life is like this day-to-day stuff, right? I got good health insurance. I got a decent way to travel. You know, I got a decent house. I have food. You know, I don't need to be a billionaire. But it'd be nice to have that flexibility like Bernice just talked about, be able to do the things I want to do and be able to experiment. I mean, we're able to experiment with real estate projects, okay, that banks won't finance. Okay, because we just have a hunch that a certain way will work a new way of doing housing or a new way of splitting up a, an old listen. retail grocery store. Right. Cause mm-hmm. we listen and we you wouldn't know? be able to do that if we didn't have, if we didn't have money, we, you, you can't do those kinds of things if you don't have money. Yeah. I, w- I want to talk about getting started and all this. So both of you by now you're full time doing what you're doing, doing development, uh, property management, mm-hmm. uh, construction management, mm-hmm. even, yeah. uh, and uh, obviously you didn't start there. Um, I, there was a lot that you talked about the music to my ears. I, you know, I've tried to talk to people about the concept of house hacking forever. And, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned, uh, what, how cool would it be if you had a little place that you could rent in the back of your house? I've, I've been fortunate now to have done some version of house hacking three times. And the first, the first time was the very first house I bought here in Kansas city was actually a triplex. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just an old house that had been converted to three apartments in the depression and never deconverted. And so uh, I bought it, uh, was able to live in one unit and rent out the other two. And basically that paid the mortgage. And uh, so when I started actually working for myself as an entrepreneur, when I was 30, I was able to do that with no house payment, which was, it was a game changer because starting as an entrepreneur was so, so hard. You know, I basically had no income for the first year. And then later we were able to do it when we had our, uh, our kids, we had a carriage house behind our townhouse in Savannah that we rented, which mostly covered the mortgage. And it was, it was just, it was such an incredible, uh, just lifesaver in many ways in terms of that income, mm-hmm. of that income stream. But I, you know, that's kind of what got me, I think, originally thinking about incremental development years ago. I, I'm more curious about how you all got started. What do you tell other people who think, wow, I want this, doing this small development is exciting. I want to do that. You know, where, where do I begin? I, I got started for me. So I started in 2007 working minimum wage for a real estate company. And I was the maintenance coordinator hmm. for minimum wage for four years, four years. I took toilet calls. I took boilers not working, et cetera. And what I learned was how to lease apartments, how to handle maintenance team, maintenance folks, um, I did a giant energy retrofit in that mess because I realized all the bills were so expensive and we needed to save money because I wanted to keep the apartments affordable. And so anyway, I go through this whole motion. Long story short, I, for four years, I mean, I managed buildings, minimum wage. Right. And what I learned was the difference between myself and the owner of that bill of that prop, property management company or myself or any other developer I met was literally just money. So that's it. Me and the difference is money. I knew the contractors. I knew how to renovate. You know, I was still, I mean, I was 21, 22, 23, 24. I wasn't, you know. So what I said, when I finished that job, I gave my notice. I I became a, I was doing, I was still working full time. I was doing some energy efficiency consulting. But I said, in this moment, I'm going to start my own company. And I figured out what was my mission? What was my LLC? What what were I, what was I going to focus on? And, and I keep, I come back to that a lot because people always ask me, well, what should I do to get in the game? Well, you could get a job, you could get real estate license. You could, there's a lot of ways to go, but you, no matter what you do, you have to put in the work. And a lot of people don't realize like four years of calls, boilers, hot water tanks, roofs leaking, leasing apartments on the side for extra cash. I didn't even have a car. I had to sell my car. I didn't have any money, but I worked back and forth and up and down. I even convinced the landlord, the owner of the properties to give me a one bedroom apartment, all utilities included for four twenty five a month. <laughs> so that, and I cleaned the hallways and I took out the trash every week, you know? So when you think about it, no matter what you do to get in, it's the hard work that you have to put in and, and you can make mistakes by buying your first building or you can learn getting a paycheck. You know, I'd probably recommend getting a paycheck, but you know, but I, you know, so it's, it's, so it's that. And then one other thing I want to say, so I live in Buffalo, Buffalo is more accessible, right? But there are so many cities and towns and villages all over America that have these types of buildings. We're Peoria, Illinois, Kansas city, Buffalo, South Bend, they're accessible. So when I started my own LLC, it wasn't, 
it was hard work and we could talk about investors and all that other stuff. But I, I saw all these vacant buildings in front of me and they were available for a dollar, 5,000, 10,000. And so all I knew was I needed money because if I had money, then I could renovate because I had all these contractors. I knew all these maintenance people. I knew all these real estate. So, so you just build that world of yours and, and stay committed and stay local and put in the work and you can really, you know, it just takes a while. A lot of people think they're going to get rich or work, you know, for quite a while. Four years minimum yeah. wage. I couldn't yeah. even. I swear. I, I one final note. I didn't have a car, but I did uh, save up money for a moped. So I'd meet all my contractors on my moped. It was like oh, like I had a high waisted little skirt on. I'm like driving around. My window guys are who is this 22 year old girl? You know. <laughs> but you know what? You learn so much. Yeah. Ask the right questions, and and you stay. Com- it was it was great. Some of the best times really I had. So, you know, uh, I had to start a company because I couldn't get anybody to hire me. So, <laughs> yeah. so my, I was, uh, you know, I raced motorcycles and basically I had like a 10th grade education, you know, and I was racing motorcycles. And when that ended with injuries, my dad was a sheetrock contractor. He sheetrocked malls. So like these, you know, these just traveling, you know, construction guys all around. And I hated that. I thought, and I had to work for him because I had no other skills. So I'm like shagging sheetrock around the country, you know, which was not a fun thing to do. And I said, why do you, how come you, you don't work at home? How come we, you don't work at home? He said, I can't get any work at home. And so basically what I did was I said, I'm going to get involved somehow and try to get involved with my community. So I got involved with all the chambers of commerce and all the organizations in my community of Southern Dallas. And that's how I got so connected to the community. And that's how I learned about farming too, is that, I thought if I can commit myself and go to every meeting they have, which is what we teach, you know, in our 12 steps of town making, we teach that go to every meeting that I'm going to get to know everybody who's doing work. And then as I got to doing that work, I started cleaning out warehouses and buildings and doing those kinds of things. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, these real estate agents, they're making all the money and I'm doing harder work than they are. And so I got my real estate license and started brokering real estate and was good at it could sell real estate. And and then I thought, well, you know, I need developers to come down here to Southern Dallas to do some good work. Well, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't come. So I thought, well, how can I do this work? So out of pure desperation, pure desperation, doing, doing the real estate work, you know, brokerage work, leasing space, selling buildings, selling land. And out of pure desperation, I put together, you know, my insurance man and my general contractor buddy, and we each throw in, you know, a little bit of money and we'd do a project. And so, that's how we got in the very beginning. And, and this is like 1989 for me, cause my company's a little over 32 years old, but in, in the very beginning, it was a hundred percent of my business was third party brokerage. You know, I was helping somebody else lease or sell something. Mm-hmm. And today it's about 20% is. So I'm still a, a real estate agent today. So I'm still, you know, still do leasing for myself, but it's all for myself now, you know, instead of somebody else. And so slowly over the years, I found buildings and people liked me because they knew I was committed to the community. It wasn't just about making money. So I, they would give me deals or they'd bring me stuff. You know, people with money would come and say, here, we'll, we'll help invest with you. So I had lots of community support by committing, which we think is the, the basis of our philosophy of committing to a place forever. Mm-hmm. The rest of your life changes the laws of the universe yeah, around I, you. I, I, want, I want to make sure, um, I don't want to let the comment go. You talked about, you learn about farming. You're obviously you're not literally talking about farming, but no, you know this is, a, this is this this is well, yeah, it's, it's a good thing to do. Cultivating so, cultivating communities. Yeah. So mm-hmm. talk about when you. That's really the first step in yeah. in the twelve step process you're outlining, right. which is really finding your farm. So why don't you right. talk a little bit about that? So farming for for like it's it always works better if you like say if you've grown up in you know um, Kansas City Midtown, you know mm-hmm. you grew up here. I mean, it's a natural place for you to farm. Because your brain has got all those years of you riding your bicycle and going to school and going to get a haircut. It's all there. So it's already in there. So you have a ton of experience already in there. And so once you consciously commit to say, I'm going to work in Midtown Kansas City the rest of my life. And I take a map and I draw, you know, an outline around that map and say, this is now my farm. So I'm like the master developer, self-proclaimed master developer of this area. Everything is important to me. Not just the property projects I do, not just my duplexes or strip centers or whatever I'm working on, but everything you do is important. So helping you be successful is just as important as helping yeah. me. And so that that part there, it's like the old saying that as the tide rises, so do all ships. 
and having that philosophy and it, which is not a real estate philosophy in the financial mm-hmm. real estate world. It's, it's like, I got to beat you. Right. Or, you know, I got to get the deal before you, I'm not going to share with you. You know, I got to, and this is a totally different look And farming is that way. Cause, cause we, we want to all do good. I don't want to be the king. Uh, I did at one point, not now, but <laughs> I don't want to be the king cause there's too much responsibility. You know, it's be so much better if all of us here have wealth, you know, right. then we can help each other. We can do right. deals with each other and yeah. we can cultivate our communities to the best they can be. Yeah. I always say that um, my life is like one or two miles. My radius yeah. is so small. And um, over the years, even though it is extremely stressful to do this work at times, um, and you have your good days and your bad days with everything, you know, you just have these like very, I said it last night over dinner, you have like a really deep joy you know, um, if you, if you've done what you said you're going to do for the most part, you try, always try, you leave with it, lead with integrity. You work to plant the flowers, you know, your neighbors, Carl and Sadie and all these people around you and you say hi. And it just gives this kind of deep level of the deep roots. Like I said, I'm like an oak tree. I'm not like a little pine tree. It's going to blow over in a, in a blizzard. Yeah. You know, it's like you have these deep, deep roots within your community and it really does matter. And then it when really, you, when you have that, you find that people come to you. Right. You, be, you find, attractive. I mean, you want, you find buildings, right? You become attractive. You, you find buildings. You also help find, you know, you might find people for other buildings. Again, it's, you're just working with each other and you become more and more attractive, you know, over time to money, to, to goodness. I mean, I mean, I think I'd, I'd like to think so. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about money a little bit. Cause I think for, especially, um, uh, rookie developers, uh, people who people who've never done this before that but they have an interest in it mm-hmm. the the scariest aspect is is money and you know how the heck do you how do you find money how do you mm-hmm. you know uh, oh i have this dream i see this building but oh god i'll never have that much money i'll never have the money to be able to do that how do you how do you talk to people about money and and finding money to make projects happen um i mean i always say personally i say if i can do it then you can but it comes with a lot of preparation and a lot of work for yourself you have to get yourself ready you have to understand what you're doing. You have to commit yourself. You have to learn about financing. You got to, you know, you, you don't have to know everything. You never will. But you, like Monty said earlier, you get your team together. You have your board of directors, right? You have your president, your vice president, all your people, your, which is really your accountant, your bookkeeper, your contra- contractor. You build this little world around you. And and then you start under, uh, you, you, I mean, there's always risk, you know, um, but you start to, like, kind of hard to even talk about but it it's just it starts to find you and it starts to, to work but you can't just look on zillow and be like oh i see a duplex i'm gonna buy this tomorrow you're not ready no bank will even lend to you you got to do the work you got to prepare you have to get your documents together you have to have your credit together you know i always tell people put your put everything on auto pay minimum auto pay because if you miss one twenty five dollar payment you may miss a loan because of it you know, so that was one of the things when I first, when I started my office, that's what I did because I realized I said, oh, my credit's not like great. What do you, what, okay, auto pay, right? So you get your credit together, you get your banks, you build, build these relationships, and then you can really look at buildings and then you can start running numbers. You know, a lot of people buy the building first and then they come to us panicked, panicked, yeah. you know, like, what do we do? Today, they, so you, you know, what I wanted to do in the beginning, and this is very common mistake that people without money. So all I need is a billionaire just to come over here and help me and just trust me. So that ain't going to happen. The money doesn't work that way. Money is a really good thing if you understand it, but here's what does happen. If you will, if you will do your, if you will take these steps that we talk about in the 12 steps, if you will take the steps and you will basically look at, you'll look at your farm, you'll, you'll find out who your, who your team is and you, you put your team around you. So if you're weak, if I'm new, I'm weak, but I have this team around me that's strong, you know, and they're part of me. And then I get my, I get my, um, my financing, not in my due diligence. I get, you know, it's the details are done. I know my zoning is done. I know I've got good sewer. I know that structurally in fire protection, I know all that we call Bernice and I call these the deal killers, fire zoning, mm-hmm. uh, utilities and accessibility. Those mm-hmm. are the deal killers. Get those. So you had these bases people with money will understand that you've got this due diligence. So you can't, it can't just be superficial. Oh, look how pretty this is. This is pretty. Over. Well, what about the fire? You know, what about the elevator? You know, and then when you do that and you have them in the right order and then you have your, your credit or your financials, even if they're not that good, right. 
pretend that you're a multi, multi millionaire, get your financials in order, just like you were a multi, pretend that you're that. And then you will start to attract and look better because most of the time with banks, when they check off your files in the banks and they look at your, it's about having all the paperwork in the right order. It's not even as much as sometimes your net worth, although you do got to have some credit and some net worth. I'm not saying that, but then you can also raise money very easy um, when you have these things, when you have the story and you, and it's not just, just superficial. You have, you have the real story. Like I can prove, uh, well, what makes you think you can get $30 a square foot money? Well, let me, let me show you. See this space here. Do you think I can get $700 for it? That's $30 a square foot. And they, they said, well, yeah, it looks like you could get $700 for that space. So you, you know, you, you give people like practical things they can look at and say, mm-hmm. does this seem realistic? Mr. Investor, Mrs. Investor, Mr. Banker, does this seem realistic? Oh yeah, it seems realistic. Okay. Then here's your proof yeah. that yeah. I so, can do this. So, I mean, none of us like grew up around people who have a lot of money. You know, yeah. I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't do that. And neither of you did. How do you, how do you find those people who have money that might be interested? Well, you, like I said, you have to get yourself together. And then once you have it together, then you start reaching out and there are people there's, I mean, there's local folks as money said he like he tapped into like the chamber and there's there's or you have your um, you can ask your bankers, you can ask so many other people who would you, you know, get to loan me this money, um, but really comes at, at at being prepared. Sometimes you could go a traditional bank route. You can say, I'm going to go residential mortgage with a duplex done. Right. Then you don't really need investors and all this other stuff. But other times you're in more complicated deals. You have to start bringing more pieces of the puzzle. The one thing to remember is that, um, you know, you, you need money, but you also need like time and hustle. Right. And it's okay if you don't have the money and it's also okay if you're not great at bookkeeping or great at certain things, but if you have the hustle and the commitment to community and you can make lease the spaces and bring this building back to life, well, the person with money doesn't have that time. They don't have the, the commitment to community. They don't understand. So, so it's like you're bringing in this huge asset that you're bringing in the asset that makes the money. Right. But, uh, and so that's really important. Just, you have to prepare and make sure you're taking care and building your, your life and with your assets that you can bring to the table. And one of the things you talked about last night, especially was where you work in Buffalo mm-hmm. uh, and in a lot of communities, probably South Dallas was the same when you started. It was just incredibly hard to get a bank loan for anything. Oh, never. Banks just won't lend. Yeah, so you yeah. had to find, you eventually had to get your act together so you could find individuals who would yeah. do that. Right. And I, what I did, I actually went to a bank and I said, Hey, I'd like to, I had a vacant building. I was doing it all kind of wrong. I had a vacant <coughs> house and I was like, I want a loan for this house. And they're like, we don't have, you know what? Their minimum loan was $50,000 minimum. This was a $20,000 house. They're like, no, we don't loan. And I, I hit a wall and I didn't understand. And all of that, I actually, what I call it, what I called it back then, I still call it, but it's called the vacancy vortex. Hmm. When a house gets vacant, right? You can't get insurance. You can't get a loan. You can't get, you can't get anyone to believe in it, but you can't fix the windows. You can't fix the roof. Right. And then it just starts to decline in this vortex. And so um, one of those was getting a loan. So I had to start with cash and finding a cash investor. And I got, I got lucky. I did a lot of hard work, but I got also got lucky. I was in the, I, there's a combination, there's a whole other story. <laughs> we have a whole hour conversation. How I found my first investor, but when I found this person, he said, I want to help you. I said, the thing I need is money. I live in Buffalo, New York. It makes sense, but I need money. And, and he said, okay, well, how much follow up? Here's my card. And you bet your I was sending an email on Monday morning. Hey, let's um, being serious, you know, but in that, even in that moment, you know what I had with me was my real, a real estate attorney who helped me. Right. Because again, having the people around you, I said, I called him up my, because I had already done my homework. I was like, I started building my connections. I had all these people I had my real estate attorney. I said, Hey, I met a guy this weekend at a conference who said he want to help me. He said, let's get on a call. I'll be on the call with you. Good. Because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Right. And then all of a sudden he's muting the thing going, where did you find this guy? Oh my gosh. You know, and I'm getting, and and I was able to off to the races. I was, you know, now it's harder for people. Now it's harder for people to find some money. Right. Not everybody has access. I didn't. But, you know, you put yourself in that world, even in working in maintenance with this large developer. If I texted him right now, he lit my 15 years later, if I texted my old boss, hey, I need like, you know, you interested in Buffalo? He might say yes. He might, you know, so mm-hmm. it's just about putting yourself out there and building your world and making those connections. And you will find I, I hated 
you know, really asking for money. It was just, I was always insecure with it because my dad had originally told me, you know, the rich get richer and we're not one of them. (laughs) We're just, but, and he did, he worked hard and he actually built some wealth, but you know, it was hard for me to ask. I had this block, you know, with this money. And so I learned to do this one thing. I learned to go to people and go, do you know anybody that might be interested? I said this last night, do you anybody that might be interested in investing some money with me? And I'd be talking to a banker and the banker's got a computer over there full of people with money in the bank. I said, you know, he can't give me that list, but he can actually introduce me to somebody. And some of my best investors today are, were, went through an accountant I knew. And I said, Hey, I'm talking to an accountant friend of mine. I said, Hey, do you know anybody that want to invest some money in an old hotel? You know, <laughs> or he says, you know, I know some people that might be interested in that. They're still my partners after like 20 years, you know? And so it's like asking people, asking your friends, asking your family, you let people know once you have a defined purpose, Okay, my mission is to make, you know, KC Midtown or KC, yeah, Midtown the best it can be. And I'm going to do that by rebuilding real estate and making real estate the best it can be. Once people know that you've got this mission, this purpose and stuff, then you know what to talk to people about. And then people are attracted to people who know where they're going. Mm -hmm. Okay, and money, money will come to you. It'll come to you in the oddest ways. You have to keep your ears open. And we talked this morning, the three of us talked a lot about uh, humility. So you have to keep your ears open and you have to keep, you know, it, it really don't matter what I think. Okay. What matters is what, you know, bankers and investors and tenants and occupants and buyers think, you know, I'm bridging these things together. And so you have to keep yourself in the humility, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, you know, you're not that good, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're good, but you're not that good. You got to keep yourself that humility is really important to attract. You don't, you're not very attractive when you don't have, when you don't have that. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen many people uh, lose their, lose everything because of that, you know, that ego thing that, um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but mm-hmm. that, that's kind of that ego thing. Sure. I want to share one piece of advice too, that really helped me find my first banker because I was working in cash for a long time in Buffalo. So I was, I had, there was a building I was interested, a mixed use building in my neighborhood. And I actually had friends in South Buffalo, not my farm, but their farm. There were small developers. They were doing similar buildings. It was like a mixed-use building with an apartment in the back. And so I texted him. This I knew him through the world. I had done. We were doing some leasing for him. You know, he became, he's like a friend, but also we did a little work for him. And I said, hey, Pete, who do you know that would lend me money? I sent him a picture of the building. I said, who do you know that would yeah. be interested in lending for this type of building? Anyone in Buffalo? Because all the local banks I had talked to didn't. Mm-hmm. They were like, no, it's too complicated. It's mixed-use, et cetera. He said, oh, you got to talk to Ashley. And I said, okay. So he sent a text, Bernice, meet Ashley. Ashley, meet Bernice. You need to know each other. I get put all my stuff together. I go meet Ashley at the bank. She's like 30 years old. She's got teal hair. She's got a nose ring. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be best friends. <laughs> and so, and she lent me for a vegan pie shop. She lent us for a democratic socialist hall. She lent me in Niagara Falls, my hometown, which is harder to loan. She said, I bought this house for 10 grand. She's like, you need a loan for this? Sure. You know? We did a, a project with the land bank. She opened her, she goes, yeah, I'll lend you the money for renovation. She did a renovation of perm loans for me. It was just like having that person, you're human, right? Mm-hmm. So all because I asked Pete one yeah, question, right? right? And, but, and and he didn't have to do it for free for me, but he did because I had built that level of love and commun- community and commitment and friendship with even with him, right? right. So that's so important is just keeping your heart open and being I don't know. I, I've been caring, you know, and, and working within your community. Sometimes it's for free. Sometimes you help people out, you, but you never know when it's going to come back to you. Right. So let's be cold hearted for a minute then. Sure. And uh, let's talk about making money. This is something you also talked about last night. I, I think I think a lot of us and a lot of people to travel in our circles are very idealistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm certainly that way too. I have, you know, I've always been a little idealistic about trying to save communities and build a better place and all mm-hmm. that other stuff. But um, you also talked a lot last night about the importance of that, whatever you do, you've got to make money yeah. doing it. So talk about the, maybe, uh, the thought process. Why is it so important to prioritize making money, uh, as a small developer? Uh, why not, why not just say you're trying to do really good stuff? Yeah. Cause it's not sustainable. First of all, cause yeah. it takes a lot of money to do this kind of work. It takes a lot of money to do any kind of business. You know, you to to do the business your way, to do it this idealistic way. Hmm. So so to be idealistic, you got to have money. 
and I'm with you there. I mean, that's why we like each other. I mean, that's why, you know, because we are idealistic, but to do idealistic work, to do the kind of, to take an old, uh, to have, you know, house, you know, hack a house, to take an old shopping center and put apartments in the middle of the parking lot. I mean, to, to buy an old motor court hotel or to restore an old theater, those are all idealistic things. And without money, you can never do those. And the bank's, the banks, you know, they're looking for the boxes to check. I mean, it'd be a lot easier for me today to go out and develop 200 units of, you know, apartments, a big strip center with Bed Bath and & Beyond and, you know, um, Kroger in it. I mean, it would be a lot easier to do, build Wendy's, you know, hamburger places all over the place. But we don't do that. I mean, those are all mm-hmm. like credit deals. We don't do that. We do these idealistic things. We look for legendary uh, pie makers and taco makers and barbecue people. We're looking for those people and those people are not credit worthy a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know? And so which if we want to, we, we want to really create culture and the vibe, you know, the, of a cool place and stuff. You have to have those people. Culture comes from people with lesser means because you're gritty then, you know, you're risk taker, mm-hmm. you get conservative, you know, when you get more money. So you're less, you less likely to create culture. So you can't create culture, you know, when you're, if you don't have money, I mean, it's, it's vital to do what we, to be idealistic, you have to have money. So to how to, how to create what we call the flywheel effect, how to get into the flywheel, how to work in your farm, how to make yourself viable and be able to provide a really good service as part of your deal and to yourself is, is crucial. And if, cause if you don't have, if you don't have it, you're not going to be there or you're going to be able to do it one time. And we know a lot of developers who basically did one shot at one thing. They blew their whole wad of money, you know, they yep. at one time and they can't do it again. Mm-hmm. And so Bernice and I literally do hundreds of projects. I mean, we have hundreds of tenants together. We have, we have over 700 tenants together, 700. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot. And almost every one of them has my personal cell phone number. Mine too. So, yeah. Mine. So. You know, which people won't even advise for. And we wouldn't we wouldn't be here today if we weren't idealistic. If yeah. we weren't idealistic today, Abby Kinney wouldn't have met us and called us to come and help work on the Marlboro School because she believed it was a worthwhile project. And we saw it and thought the same thing. Yeah. And we got the people that are doing it. They now believe that it's a cultural yeah. significant, you know, project yeah. and. You and it takes money to do that. Yeah, it does. It takes money to renovate a house. Mm-hmm. It just does. Not even a little bit of money, honestly. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, I always say I'm a dreamer and a doer. It's like one of my best yeah. qualities. Um, but none of it, none of us, everything, everything that we do, none of it is just with ourselves. So we have whole teams yeah. helping us, you know, whether it's our quote unquote board of directors or our, our, our staff or, you know, our part, yeah. people. It's just, it takes, truly takes a village to do these projects. So you really have to be idealistic. You have to see what it looks like. I mean, when you're looking at vacant properties that have been run down for 40 years, you have to be like, oh my gosh, I love those windows. I love this storefront. I can see a pie shop here. And, and, you know, I always say my dreams are like big dreams, but they're also little, right? It's a one duplex, one triplex, but over time I renovate one duplex, you know, and then another, another, another. And all of a sudden I'm biking around my neighborhood and I've touched so many of these projects and they're not all mine, by the way. Right. In order to you want to talk about money in order for me to get paid, I have to do other people's work for them because small projects have such little teeny, you know, maybe if you want to make money, it has small profits. Mm -hmm. So we have to constantly be bringing in other work. We have Mm -hmm. leasing, property management, uh, consulting work. Why? I mean, we're here. It's part of the reason why we're here. Um, All of that helps into, you know, paying our bills and all the other stuff. It's it's complicated. How do how. How did you get to the point where you were able to do this full time? Ah, I made a decision that before I was 30 years old, Abby is here listening, that I would, um, personally, I made a decision. I wanted to jump and leap into it before I was 30. So I did. I, I Two weeks before I turned 30, I opened my own office. I have one desk, $450 a month rent. I took on one client who paid me like five grand a month. And then less my expenses, of course. And mm-hmm. I managed all his properties for him. And it was crazy chaos because they're all vacant and garbage. Sorry if he's listening, but they were. Uh, and I, I just leapt, leapt into the abyss, you know, and thought, and I wasn't really that prepared. You know, honestly, I, I got through it, but it was hard. 
um, it was a lot, it was yeah. a lot harder than I thought, you yeah. know, yeah. I actually, I picked up the, um, property management for dummies book. <laughs> yeah. But I had a four years of experience. Yeah. So I wasn't doing it all alone on my own. Right. But yeah. So, and I never am alone, but, but yeah, it's hard, hard so, work. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, earlier that you've, you've had a lot of people who they go that you've run across, they'd go and do one project and then really don't ever do anything beyond that. I'm curious, you know, what are, what are some of the really common mistakes that you see, you know, rookie developers. Just don't name names, Monty. Uh, yeah, don't you don't have to names, name so, it. Yeah, what, what are, I'm not, I, I mean, I, I mean, wouldn't do that. Yeah, what are some of the things that you see <laughs> well, frequently? Here's, a, that, here's, a, here's a, the, the, the most common thing is that especially men have a, more of a problem with women than this. So uh, as men think that uh, instead of starting off when I, we would always tell somebody, we met with, we've met with people while we're here that say, look, start with one house that's already built. Fix it up, you know cut a room off house hack, you know, one room, start with that, do another one, do three or four of those, get used to doing transactions. Mm -hmm. So you want to, this is like practice. Like we don't, you know, a lawyer doesn't just go do law. They practice law. A doctor practices medicine. This is a practice, you know, you need, you need projects to practice, practice, practice. If you spend what would happen with, with, with many people I know, is they'll, they'll say, we're going to do a small project. It's 30 units. Well, 30 units, that's that's seven or $8 million deal. That's not a small project, no. you know, and they'll, they'll waste three or not waste, but they'll work two to three to four years to get that done. And by the time they get it done, they've only done one project. They haven't really learned the practice of real estate. And then they're so beat up yeah. and so worn out and all <laughs> their assets are gone or either tied up with this that they've had to just go get a job and they're mentally, they're not even in the game the same. And it's a more of a mental game. And and if you start with one house and, and by the way, some of the wealthiest people I know only own single family houses. Mm -hmm. They just own a whole bunch of single family houses. So there's nothing wrong with having a whole bunch of little, little projects. In fact, that's a good thing. I mean, you got your, you talk about having a good base of risk, you know, you know, it's really a good, but that is the number one. And what's funny about women versus men, you know, I always say this uh, to, to, to Bernice is, you know, men conquer and women nurture. And so nurturing is one house at a time. Men conquering is like getting a whole village. I'm going to go conquer the village, you know, and grab the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not so good, you know, over the long, it's not, it's, it's a tough, it's, it's, you're beat up, you know, you're, you're war torn, you know, you're, when you're nurturing, you know, you're kind of this, it's this incrementalism. Nurturing is incrementalism. Mm -hmm. And, and I say, I say to them all the time, you want to do 50 story buildings, go for it. Start with a house yeah. and then do a duplex and then do a fourplex, then do a little mixed use and then do a strip center, you know, then do, you know, so it's do the steps. And by the time you get up there, you may either decide, I don't want to ever do that. Or you're able to do it and you have such a base of cash flow. You have a base of uh, operation and you have self-esteem and you have confidence and you have all these things that you can actually handle it. And just remember when you take, when you start small projects and you, if you fail, you don't fail that far. Yeah. You know, for me, I've growing up poor. I'm like, I don't, I can, I can hardly handle projects that are, are giant. I just, even now, even the 10 years, 15 years later. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very much comfortable when I have, if I have a three unit building and I know that my mortgage is, you know, capable of being paid with one or two units and I can put a yeah. little money aside or I can give, even if it means I can give like the one of the tenants a better, you know, lower rent, you know, I don't care as long as my bills are paid. Right. So I, I just, you, you don't fall as far and you can, you can really catch yourself and you catch yourself quicker for that matter. Cause you make tons of mistakes all day. I mean, every day there's mm -hmm. mistakes that are made and totally. we're not talking $20 mistakes. You know, we're talking two hundred dollars, two thousand dollars, five thousand. You know, you don't. Let's say you don't. I don't know. You don't scope. Realize you have to pay replace a sewer, right, or whatever or water line. Well, that's ten thousand dollars in Buffalo, mm -hmm. right? So all of a sudden, where are you going to get the ten grand? You're going to wish you had that experience to, to know to even think about that water line, right? right. So it's it's really important. Um, I don't know. I always Sometimes think, I don't want to think about them because then I won't do the deal. I, I want to do the I, deal I, so bad. I just do it anyway. Yeah. And I think about that too. What would 25 year old Bernice do versus 36 year old yes. Bernice? 25 year old Bernice anyway. would buy that building. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I bought the crazy. I still things do. That, that I still do. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I always thought it's so weird. I, I sometimes I buy a building because I like the one ceiling or one window or one storefront or a tin ceiling. I bought a building for 12 grand because I like the tin ceiling in the dining room. Yeah. Like, and then I just saved everything else and restored the rest. And it was, you know, so it just, anyway, I digress. It's, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, along those lines, I mean, is there, <laughs> is there a particular like personal failure that you have like in your resume oh. dealing with this that really stands out in your brain yeah. that was like, oh God, what a, what a mistake that was. And I really, I should not ever do that again. I would say I don't want to point to one because this is recorded, but you, for me personally, you have to make sure your operating docs are organized and up. And I've actually won because of this and I've lost because of this. So um, make sure that you're, if you're going to enter partnerships or enter agreements, you know, you got to make sure that it's papered, documented. Um, and, and, you know, and it's really, really important to do, especially with business partners um, and, you know, that type of stuff. So just make sure you have your, an attorney review the things that you're doing. Right. Here's, here's the biggest mistake. And there's been many, but I've been able to recover from because, see, it seems like the universe or God takes care of fools and children, you know, so I've been taken care of pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, and when you're committed to something, it seems like things just kind of work out when you don't quit. So if you commit to it and you don't quit, they work out. But I can tell you this, my problems have all come from my, my humility and my ego. When I, when I first did my, I did a ho this hotel I talk about all the time, the Belmont Hotel. When I did that hotel, I thought, what, how hard could it be? How difficult could it be? I was so arrogant at that point of thinking I could just do anything because I had done, you know, weird things and done things. I was so arrogant. I thought I could just do it. And it kicked me hard. In fact, it took all my wealth, it mm -hmm. but I just didn't give up. And I never gave up. I never gave up. And it gave it back to me eventually. But it did nearly, I mean, I was ready to, I mean, I was ready for liquidation. Mm. I was getting ready to walk from Dallas to Washington in protest of loans and small business and banking. I want, I was just going to walk and talk in little towns about how bad the banking system was, you know, because, <laughs> but my, my problems always have really came from my own, my own self and my, just getting myself, and that's how I've learned. That's why I talk about this a lot, about the humility part, because it's so important. Success for me is like this, is a red flag yep. in front of me, and it's saying, beware, you're in dangerous territory because you think you know everything. Mm -hmm. So that, and then, and then when I'm down, it's gratitude. So I can just get, I'm grateful to have shoes today and mm -hmm. some food and a place to be in out of the weather, you know. And so those things keep me, they keep me balanced here. And then this business is so and it's, I mean, the, it's not for the light of heart I hear. I mean, it's, it is highly stressful. I mean, it's, yeah. and you got to keep it in perspective. If money can fix it, you don't have a problem. Okay. If money can't fix it, you got a problem, mm -hmm. you know, and money can fix the stuff that I've got right now or in people in my life. And so, I mean, somebody's sick with cancer or something, then, you know, that's a problem, but a building, you know, not being able to make the taxes or, you know, can't make the payment. That ain't a problem. Right. I mean, it is, but it's not, you know, in the scheme of things. So you have to put the stuff into perspective so you can, so you can handle yourself. You know? yeah, I take, I personally, I, I take my stress really personally because I believe that home is so important. So I, I've really been trying to work on how I, how I respond to stress, especially in like times of, we have blizzards and all this extreme weather and like just in general, like, I don't even want to get into it, but it's hard for me because I take it so personal. Yeah, she does. Right? Yeah. And my, my therapist always like, <laughs> you need to not take this so personally. I'm like, but I experienced such poverty and like I had no heat and I had no water and we had no electric and, and all this stuff really. So when we have like a no heat call on a Friday, it's like, it's like it springs my, you know, yeah. eight year old self with no heat in the middle of winter, yeah. you know, and I've been trying to work with that, but I don't know. That's like ingrained. I mean, that's, it's just there, yeah. you know, and, and, and it honestly makes me probably better, you know, all my yeah. tenants, they know, they have my phone number. They know that, that we're around. Yeah. We will get there. Do not think that I'm forgotten about you or I'm not thinking about you and, or I'll be up the middle of the night thinking about you because they know. I yeah. said, so I always say we're not perfect, but we do care. No that, one can tell me I don't care. And, I, and I'm guessing uh, Bernice, that that probably translates to an advantage to you in probably getting and retaining good tenants because of that Most reputation. Times. 
Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that leads me, you know, to another question, which is, you know, we've talked a lot about the challenges. There's a ton of challenges. There's, you know, there's the work you got to put in, finding money. There's a lot of things that are hard. There are a lot of advantages, too, about being a smaller local developer. Uh, and you talked about those a little bit last night as well. I wonder if you could just elaborate on those, because I don't think people often think about the fact that, yeah, there's all these these 10 different things that look like a struggle, but there are real advantages, too. I think one of the first of all, one of the real advantages is that the kind of work we do, there's no market study that can prove. I mean, <clears throat> if you're wanting to do a project and you want it to pencil perfectly and you get a market study and it says this, there's a hundred other people doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. A hundred other people. But if you're cutting edge stuff like we are, okay, you've got to have a sense of the community. You got to know it. You got to sense it and feel it. And by being so entrenched in the community and, and close to our tenants and our, our maintenance people and our janitors and people like that, then we, we just feel it inside. It lives in us. And that advantage, no, no corporation, no big business can ever can, can get that. They, they want to get that. You know, they do market studies. They pay tons of money to get that. But we know, I mean, we can tell you right now, she or I could tell you in our neighborhood exactly what you could get for rent for X kind of space whatever it is, we could tell you pretty close. You know, we, we could tell you, uh, we could t- just like the farmer, we can tell you if the weather's changing, you know, what the crops are going to be like this year. <laughs> so we can sense right now based on our rent, our income from our tenants, what's coming ahead in the, in finance, in the financial world. Because the first people that are hit are, are some of the, sometimes these local people. We can also tell you this by, by being so local, Sometimes we're insulated from the rest of the country's woes and problems because we trade in basic stuff, haircuts, pies, <laughs> you know, we trade in, you know, um, you yeah. know, basic things. We don't get tricky. And <clears throat> so we have the, uh, the ability to, to maneuver and adjust and make those adjustments like that. I mean, we can, we can move. And right now, I mean, you look at January till now in banking, how big, I mean, Prime interest rate, prime mm-hmm. rate is doubled during that period. I mean, who's adjusting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're here still doing, we're still today, still doing deals, still leasing space, still doing our deals. It hadn't, it didn't change anything for us. No, It's just, it's just the ply, plywood went up. Yeah. You might as well said plywood went up. It's the yeah, same some, thing. Some small different, small approaches may be a bit different, but yeah, you're right. Like, you know, and the other thing I like to kind of, it's kind of a silly thing to think about, but you know, when you're working locally, then you can to help the local community. So you're helping, like you're not just building a building, right? Or you're not renovating a building. You're helping a local business owner open the nail salon, the <coughs> nail salon, right? Her, his popcorn shop or the coffee shop or whatever the case may be. We have, you know, cake, we have cakes and bakers and, um, you know, nonprofits that rent from us. So you're really helping them start their livelihoods. You know, I always say storefronts are where dreams come through. Because that's the truth, right? And so every building that we do that's like mixed use with a little baby storefront, you're helping the neighborhood, you're helping, you're, you know, you're paying your bill that you need, but you're also helping these people just start start their dreams and, and you're believing in them too. And so your life gets better. I mean, I think about it all the time. I'm like, I've got good coffee. We've got cool pie. We've got, I mean, I could tell you about Josh Allen's birthday cakes that he gets because one of our tenants is his cake baker, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's, um, it's just, I don't know, makes it kind of fun. You know, makes it. Yeah. And so if you're like, oh, our neighborhood needs a laundromat. Well, you're waiting for someone to put a laundromat in. Well, you can do it yourself. Yeah. Right. You can buy the building. You can invest in the laundry equipment and you could make money there and you can rent the apartments out. And then you get to make the choice to help. Maybe the apartments are below market. Right. Set in a thousand. They're 800 because, you know, those two people are trying to save it for for their own house. Mm-hmm. Those are the choices that you can make local. And it's so important. Most of many of my buildings are below market, far below market. I, I, you know, you got to do what's right for you. But one of my commitments has been affordable housing because I, you know, grew up poor. Not everything we do is, you know, very, very low income. But, you know, I have buildings with rents 550 to 850 when the market would be 900 to 1500. Right. And um, and, you know, but you can make those choices. That's what's so cool about the local. And when you see people eye to eye. You can't give them the, you can't give them the finger or tell them the, you know, tell them swear word. You're not in a car. You're literally walking past your neighbors. And that's what's so cool about being local. One last thing I was going to say here is that it's this, like we're what, what we do in being local, like we are, 
is this. One day when it gets to the end of our life, when we're ready to graduate, okay, and we're and it's getting closer for all of us every day. So when you look back, and I'm talking to my 40-year-old, now my 40-year-old granddaughter, who's now, you know, that later on, she's 40 years old, and she looks around and she says, what was it all about for you guys? Did you just build all these parking lots and these bad strip centers and this bad property? Is this what you left us? Is this what you thought of us? Is this really what you thought of us? Or did you think enough to try to give us a pie shop or to give us some walkable neighborhoods or some better bike lanes or some better things? Did you, which, which did you, which conversation are we going to have with our grandkids? And so we've take, we have the choice. We've taken the choice, maybe the hard path. It's not the easy path, but in this path here, we're going to be able to answer that question on the days that we get ready for graduation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I go to sleep knowing I did what I could. Yeah. And it was never perfect, but I always tried. Well, that's a great, that's a great place to stop. I know you've got uh, a full schedule today and uh, other things to get onto. I, I do want to say uh, if you are in a place where Monty or Bernice come and, and talk about what they're doing, I know they're, they're doing things around the country. I, I'll just tell you from my own experience, there's just nothing that gets me more fired up, you know, and ready to just go out and do something. When That's I, right. when I hear the two of you talk about what you're doing and, yeah. and the advice that you give, it's just, it's absolutely infectious. And uh, I, you know, the energy in the room last night, I think people really felt that. And I think there's a lot of people who are really eager to, you know, pick up and, and do whatever their next project is yeah. uh, as a result. So congrats to you both. Thanks for saying Thank that. I, I do want to um, uh, uh, wrap by, this is uh, this is the Messy City podcast. So I ask everybody who comes on here uh, at the end to think about a place. Uh, is there a place, a city, a town, a neighborhood uh, that, um, that you think might fit that description, someplace that's more organic, more incremental in nature, more small development. What is the place that comes to mind that you love when you think about, <laughs> when you hear that phrase? Um, I'm going to say, okay, I'd probably say Amsterdam, but Marrakesh comes to my mind because it's just that your senses are on fire when you're there and it's just messy and organic and incredible. And there's cats, there's donkeys, there's people, there's, <laughs> there's chickens getting their heads, their like necks cut off for food the, that day. And it's wild. It's amazing. I, I didn't get enough of it when we were there. I was there on my honeymoon like five years ago. And I think about it almost every day. All right. Yeah. You know, I have to always say South beach uh, (laughs) in Florida, not the tall, messy stuff on the beach, but the real urbanism of South beach and the small blocks and the little short, it's such a perfect gridded place. But I also will have to say my own main street in Duncanville, Texas, where I look out my uh, loft apartment into the 24 hour tire store and how much, like I told the girls earlier that the entertainment was so good and to, to have just the people and the sirens and the walkability of a place that was dead, you know, is, is like happening now. And it's, it may not be perfect because the tire store is across the street, <laughs> but it's, it's our tire store, you know, and it's, it's like that, that grittiness of one at a time, you know, one more donut shop with better coffee, you know, a place to get a haircut, you know, slowly, but surely, you know, one little thing and one, and to see it happen like that, the messiness, and it's not perfect at all. It's very messy. It's very messy, but it's beautiful. Yeah, that's terrific. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thanks to you both. Uh, I think, uh, as you mentioned last night, we all have a football connection. Monty's right that the Chiefs were originally the Dallas Texans, yeah. uh, and uh, the Hunt family moved them to Kansas City. And uh, my hope is that the Chiefs and the Bills are together in the <laughs> AFC Championship game for years to come. <laughs> yeah, Continue the battle of uh, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, oh. Hopefully, we have we can both enjoy that for a long time. So you know, I, it's funny because I became a Bills and Chiefs. Uh, fan. fan vicariously because of these, <laughs> these right. so, so, so I had to playing. live vicariously through them because the Cowboys just yeah. it's tanked. so funny it's well, so it's been a, Texas go Bills and then it's, go uh, yeah. it's been a fun ride for us definitely in Kansas City I know it's it's good know. to feel like a win yeah. and are like more legacy cities we need wins we do yeah. well it's a funny thing and it's a total digression on all this but it is it, it's interesting that the cities that have the most passionate fan bases in regards to, you know, major sports are always smaller and medium sized cities. Yeah. You know what? And they also I also don't they also have a hole in the roof. The people with the holes in the roofs takes the soul out of the game. <laughs> the the roofs takes the soul out of the game. It does. And the yeah. Cowboys that's what's happened to us. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you. 
Well, your owner's a little uh, a little off the wall, too. Oh, don't get money on that. Don't get money on that. Okay. <laughs> More about urbanism and walkability. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to you both. Really appreciate Thank your you. time. Thank you.